You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. I know that for a lot of us, it's been a really interesting and fun thing to suddenly rediscover what spiritual conversations are like. And you're sort of finding that actually this has been really fun uh, because you haven't done this in a long time. And some of you are sort of discovering the power of just trying to talk to people about what they believe and what you believe and finding out that actually people enjoy talking about this stuff. And it's been really good. I keep hearing that from people, which has been really fun. And I would just encourage you, if you're showing up kind of late in the game for this particular thing, know that um, these sermons are recorded and you can go back online and the podcast and things like that. And also that we've been going through community groups to help kind of train and equip people, which even some of you online are a part of. So just to remind you, this isn't just about a Sunday morning series, and it's just not just about, you know, January and February, and now we're all done. Some of us have been praying for three people every day, and I know that actually there's been some kind of amazing things that God is doing through that, but I would just encourage you to make a commitment for the rest of the year, 2021, pray for the same three people every day, every day, and see if maybe God does something amazing. If maybe we will all get to see this person get baptized. If maybe some of the people you know will come to know Jesus in this weird and mysterious way of God working. Because it's a beautiful thing when you see that. It's a truly, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. So, would you turn me to... That's where we're going to be today. 14. Actually, no, we're going to start at verse 9. Because... If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For no one believe, for one believes with the heart, and so is justified. And one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they have been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How just Mm, gorgeous, is it, when somebody comes to know Jesus? How attractive is the person who bothers to bring this amazing good news into people's lives? If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this as clearly as you possibly can. It is the greatest thing in the world to be a part of someone's spiritual autobiography. It is one of the greatest things you can ever do to be a part of someone coming to know Jesus. It is life-changing. It is addictive. It is amazing. I'm telling you, I have been married I have children. I have been on mountain peaks that few have seen. I have rock climbed up glacial <laughs> vistas. I have been in amazing and beautiful valleys. I swam in oceans that change color. I've seen beautiful things. There is nothing like leading people to Jesus. <laughs> it is amazing. I'm telling you, you will be, oh, it will, if you have never done it before, it will change your life. If you have done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it's been a while, you're like, mm, yeah, I need to get back into that. This is a beautiful experience. A truly amazing thing. 
When you look at the world, what do you see? We see beauty, for sure. But we also see a lot of pain, which is actually a large part of the beauty. But it's not necessarily a pleasant thing. Uh, when you're in actually beautiful places to see trash in rivers, you know that human beings tend to poison our air and our water and our soil. Now we hear about things like climate change, and there's quite a bit of evidence, at least for you know, asthma and things like that. That's pretty rough. We see human beings, which are sometimes pretty good, but most of the time, pretty crappy, actually. And uh, pretty crappy to each other uh, in lots of small and petty ways, where you see things like divorces and lying and things like that. And also pretty, well, large and ugly ways. Like we see people divided by things like politics. And we see people divided by things like language. We see people divided by things like nationalism and racism. And the perception of racism, which is in a weird way sometimes a racism unto itself. We see people who are very serious about those divisions, right? We have nuclear weapons. That's a really serious thing. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near you. I'm willing to destroy myself and everyone else on this planet. That's how serious we get about some of the divisions between each other. We hear people talk about a pandemic, right? Which is a sign that the world is broken. But we also know that most of the time we don't care about pandemics. That's a really ugly thing because they happen in poor countries. The only thing we're really worried about is they come here. We see a really ugly and broken world, and the harder and longer you look, the more ugly and broken it seems. Uh, we live in a world that has been damaged by evil. Now, I think that's a pretty easy case to make. I've never found it to be particularly different. But what's interesting is that most of us feel this. And even as I say it, you go, man, it's a real bummer. And you can even begin to imagine a different world, a better world. And we all have a weirdly consistent idea of what that world is. Now, hunger implies food. Thirst implies drink. So what does this longing imply? So the Bible would say it implies that there was once a better world. Where human beings were together the way they were supposed to be. And they were together actually in the presence of God, which was an essential part of being together. And so we would say that we were designed by, designed for, rather. Designed for good. We were designed for good and we've been damaged by evil. And part of the reason we're so sure we've been damaged by evil is we have a pretty clear picture of what life looked like, what human beings looked like in relationship to creation, in relationship to God, in relationship to one another a very long time ago. So the question is what went wrong? Well, the way the Bible tells it, you know, we once had this relationship with God, and then we destroyed it. And actually, we once had this relationship with other people, and we sort of destroyed that as well. And a creation, which of course we destroyed as well. And we did all of this mostly <laughs> by living a fairly self-absorbed existence. And so we acted like our will and our desires and our plans for the world are the only things that matter. And the more we do that, the more alone we are and isolated we are. Not just from God, but from other people. Not just, well, from other people, but also from creation. A truly miserable existence. The Bible calls this being lost. And so the question is, how do you get out of it? What's the solution to this? And what most human beings try to do is solve this problem and try to get back here. And what will inevitably happen if you do that is your actions will collapse on themselves ironically. We see this throughout all of history. Since the beginning of time, it has always been this way, and somehow we all imagine a better world, 
And we're always trying to get here, and we're often trying to get here without God. And the more we try to get here without God, the more we make the thing, well, worse. And you can see it in all sorts of ways. Let's say the 20th century. So the two greatest attempts to build a perfect world were fascism and communism. One conservative, one fairly left of center. I'll take communism, which is a brilliant idea in every way. If you read about it, you go, this makes sense. No haves, no have-nots, everybody sharing equally with all things. There's only one problem, which is that human beings are fundamentally damaged by evil. And so when they get into a system like that, there are some haves, and there are quite a few have-nots, and in fact, they have less than they used to have. And if anybody disagrees, the haves kill them. This was an attempt, a very clearly, explicitly atheistic attempt to build a better world. And it's one of the most nightmarish mass murders that has ever happened in the history of the world. And there have been lots of examples of that. They happen on small scales. When people go, I'm going to build the perfect family, and there are weird consequences somewhere else in their life, or sometimes even in that family, like a pressure to be perfect. I'm going to build, well, the great business empire, and there are strange consequences even within that empire. There's, just, there's a weird way in which a self-absorbed life always ends up destroying itself. The only way out of this would have to be something that comes outside of the system. Something that comes from outside of the system that has the ability to be a part of the system and be broken and vulnerable by the world, and yet somehow untouchable. We would say that's the cross of Jesus Christ. And those who come to know Jesus, Paul says, who believe in their hearts and confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, will be saved. Saved from this. Saved, in a weird way, able to participate in this. Even in the midst of a broken and ugly world. So we've been restored. For better. And this is only possible, we would say, in light of the cross. But we suddenly interact with each other the way they were supposed to, and can interact with God the way that they were supposed to, and to some degree or another, interact with creation the way that they were supposed to. And so what ends up happening, the more you live in light of the cross, the more you live as though a better world were true, the more a better world actually comes into existence, little by little, through you, and through this community of people. But what happens the more you do that, you find that the cross is always moving you. Moving you out into this broken world. Reversing this kind of self-absorbed existence from before. Because we know that there are people in desperate need of the gospel, isolated, alone, and damaged by evil. We feel it still ourselves in the midst of this broken world. And we know that the cross, by its very nature, is always seeking to save the lost. And that's what Paul talks about when he says that everyone who believes or calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he starts asking these questions. And the questions are rhetorical and they're meant to get you. And he'll say this, how can a person call on the name of the Lord? We want everyone to call on the name of the Lord, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will everyone call on the name of the Lord? How would they call on Him if they didn't already believe in Him? And how would they believe in Him if they haven't heard about Him? And how could they hear about Him? <laughs> unless someone were to tell them. And who would tell them unless they were sent? How beautiful, he says. How beautiful it is when people understand what it is I'm talking about. They understand they have been sent together to heal. 
How beautiful it is. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is the gospel in four quick pictures. I would imagine you've seen things like this before. If you haven't, here you go. I would imagine that some of you are thinking, I could do a better job. Good. Do a better job. I have no problem with it. Show me. I will rip you off and give you no credit. I'm very excited. I believe some of you are far better artists, for one thing. But if you sat down and you thought about it, could you explain the gospel on a napkin? Could you explain it in a bar? Could you explain it if you had five minutes on an airplane? Could you explain the gospel quickly? Why is it important that Jesus Christ has come? What is the problem? How does he solve it? How are we related to the solution to the problem? This is a worthwhile thing to do. What is the gospel? Could you explain it simply? Obviously, there's so much more to it than this. The nice thing about our God is that he doesn't give us bullet points. He gives us a Bible full of stories. But it is nice when you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand that you don't have to start at Genesis and go to Revelation. It's handy to have something small and easy that you can hand to someone because we know that there are some people who do not call on the name of the Lord. And some of you may be here today, and you may be feeling acutely the thing that I have described. You might not like the self-absorbed comments from before, but you feel the loneliness and the isolation and the brokenness and the pain of creation. Now imagine if that were to continue for the rest of a person's life. Imagine if that were to continue beyond a person's life. The word the Bible uses for that is hell, misery, destruction, pain. It's like that right now. Now, you and I know that the way that we live our lives, if the way that we live our lives were to continue forever, some of us would go, well, that sounds really nice. I could get closer and closer and closer to God. That's the trajectory I'm headed on. And some of us go, man, I would really like things to change. I don't like the way things are. But imagine you've never heard about Jesus. Or imagine you've heard about Jesus and you don't necessarily buy into the idea of Jesus. Imagine you're here and no one in your life is saying, actually, there's a way out. There's someone I know who has something to say about this. Is a magician you will actually recognize from TV and movies and Netflix specials about how magic works. His name is Penn Gillette. He works with Penn and Teller. You've probably seen him. And he's an atheist, by the way. And he talks about, um, on his YouTube channel, an experience he had where someone talked to him about Jesus. Would you please? That's worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. 
And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? It is unlikely that you will hear me say this again, so listen. I'm not sure I can do better than the atheist on the subject of evangelism. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a guy who's had a spiritual conversation with someone, who is reporting it, has good news. He doesn't even buy into the good news, but you can tell it got to him. He knows about Jesus, he is aware of the Christian story, and still, the fact that somebody cared enough about him, a sane person who was genuinely invested in his future, was significant. And he's not offended that somebody would talk to him about Jesus. He's grateful. Now, this is a stranger talking to a stranger, and he's grateful. Imagine, there are friends in your life who you know well, and if you really could figure out why exactly you think that Jesus is good news to them, they would really want to hear it. They actually would be grateful, even if they don't buy into it. They might actually be grateful for that kind of spiritual conversation. How could someone call them if they don't believe in him? How could they believe in him unless they hear about him? How would they hear about him? How? Someone would have to tell them how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul is very clever with the questions that get inside your head. It is intentional that he does not answer those questions. He just keeps leading you to this inevitable answer that you find somewhere inside your head and your heart. If we've been sent, why, why would we not want to see this beautiful thing? Imagine. Imagine that there are people who have never heard about this. I'm not saying people who've heard about it and have chosen not to follow Jesus. That's that guy, and still worth talking about. I'm saying, imagine there are people for whom the good news is news. Now, the first time I came across this idea, I was in college. I was in college, and I was looking for a group of friends. That was it. I wanted friends who liked Jesus. And I found a group of friends who were involved in a, a ministry that talks about evangelism to high school and junior high kids. And mostly I liked them, but little by little I started to hear more about what it was that they were doing on a regular basis. 
And what they were doing on a regular basis was going to high schools and junior highs and hanging out with kids. And basically, the whole plan was this. If a college kid falls in with a couple of junior high kids and genuinely loves them, a couple of high school kids, genuinely loves them, a couple of college kids, because it was also college kids, and genuinely loves them in the name of Jesus, if they're willing to give up a little of their time and maybe some dignity along the way, if they're willing to be embarrassed from time to time, that was definitely a part of it, there was a chance that people might come to know Jesus. There was a chance that people might come into an eternal kind of life in the here and now. They might be saved from this into a brand new kind of existence. And the more you love these kids, incarnationally, we've talked about that a little bit, just doing life with them with no agenda, the more they want to know why. Why it is that you're the kind of person who doesn't seem affected by this in the same way. Why you seem to be able to not be alone all the time. What is it about you that seems to change their story and they're going to hear about Jesus? Inevitably. And I remember the first time I really saw this at work. By the way, not exactly this. This is a series of drawings I've ripped off from a guy in university. A guy named James Chung. Smart guy, and I like him a lot. But I watched a guy draw this at a camp, or a different version. And I saw a kid who I'd been walking alongside of for about a year, listen, and hear for the first time about Jesus. For the first time about Jesus. I don't think you understand. He had never heard about Jesus. This is an 18-year-old kid in America in the 21st century. He's seen church buildings. He's aware of Christmas. He's aware of Easter. These are unavoidable things. They're on TV. There's candy. There are trees. There's a bunny. People know about this stuff. He has never heard about Jesus. Ever. And I'm sitting with this kid at a camp, and he's just heard about this, and he's sitting on a rock, and I will never forget, behind us there are these dorms, Light is shining behind us, the field is dark, and there's stars in the sky, and you can see kind of the silhouettes of some pine trees in the distance, and there's a lot of quiet. And Kevin says, all right, there's one thing I don't understand. Shoot, Kevin. God loves us. Jesus is God, and we want to be with God, but we can't. Yeah. Because of sin. My sin killed Jesus. Mine too, Kev. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. It was a cliffhanger. He literally knows that Jesus dies on the cross and doesn't know what comes next in the story. Unbelievable to me. I've grown up in the church. Unbelievable to me that someone doesn't know just the basic outline of the story or what it is that people have to offer. There are people in your life who I promise you do not know about Jesus. Kevin, by the way, would have described himself as a Christian. Kevin had no idea what that meant. He was just pretty sure because he lived in America that's what he was. And the next day, he hears about the resurrection of Jesus, and he's surprised. Like, oh my, I had no idea. I had no idea he comes back. Spoilers, by the way, if you did not know. I had no idea. He was surprised and so excited. Like, the best ending to the story, he heard about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
He heard about this, that you can live a brand new kind of life here and now, if you come to know Jesus. That this goes away and this is possible. And he said, I want that. And I said, you can have it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved. That's how that works. The next day, there are a bunch of people at the camp. And hundreds of kids in a room. And they do this thing every time. Like, hey, you know, if you came to know Jesus at the camp, we think people should say so. Just hand up, that's it. All you should do is, I came to know Jesus. And hundreds of kids, not everybody comes to know Jesus. In fact, most of them don't come to know Jesus. Again, we keep talking about that in the Spiritual Conversation series. Just because you tell somebody about Jesus doesn't mean they become Christians. It might take a while. But there are people in the room who've definitely heard this and are thinking about it. But Kev raises his hand. And other people raise their hand. Other people whose lives I've invested in. And I'm looking around going, this is unbelievable. <laughs> These people have become Christians, and all we had to do was talk about Jesus? Like, that's so, that's amazing. That, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I got hooked. Hooked on this. I'm telling you, if you have ever led someone to Jesus, if you've ever baptized somebody, if you've ever been with them when they go, I think I'd like to be a Christian, it is the most amazing experience you can ever have. I have children, I have a wife, they, are author they have authorized me to say this. They are not offended by this. They agree. Actually, my kids don't really get it, but my <laughs> wife It's an amazing thing. Now, here's the deal. Paul says, right, how could they call on someone they don't believe in? Which is to say, how could they pray to someone and believe in someone? Right? How, could they, how could they believe in someone unless they hear about it? How could they hear about it unless someone tells them, why would anyone tell them if they haven't been sent? And then he follows that up with a quote from Isaiah. Now, when I say we're sent together to heal, I know that there are some of you who have heard the story stop right here. This is the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. There are people here who go, you know what, I can build this, I don't need God. We've already talked about how that doesn't work out. There are people here who genuinely don't see this. And a large part of spiritual conversations with these sorts of folks is to help them see the world the way that it is. To recognize that a lot of this is either, like, naive or privileged. Like, you don't know that there are children who starve in the world? Like, that doesn't bother you? But there are people in this category who see this as optional. Like, this is next-level Christianity, but I've got, like, the good kind over here that doesn't ask very much of me. I can only tell you this. I, honestly, I can only tell you this. This is built into Christianity. The last words Jesus says to people who follow him is, guess whose job it is to make disciples and baptize people? I'm gone. Who do, whose job is this now? Who's going to tell him? And the, the people that, like, is, it, is, it, is it Pete? Like, it's Pete's job to do this? No, everybody who follows Jesus, like, to the ends of the earth, that's the job. And the thing is, if Christianity is all about you and like a private personal experience, if it's true for me, but it doesn't have to be true for other people, that's, that's a weird thing that you're doing. If that's what it is for you, then the truth is what you've really got is a Christian version of this. A self-absorbed existence that does not care about the cross and what it might do in the lives of others. You have found a Christian version of this, and here's the deal. Paul, in this part of Romans, is dealing with a Jewish version of this. He's trying to find all these people who know about our God, who don't seem to understand who he is, 
who don't seem to understand that he actually likes Jews and Gentiles and all sorts of people. He's, he's not, like you found a, a version of our God that makes you superior to others? You found a version of our God that makes you take it easy religiously while other people are doomed? That's not how this works. That's not how this works at all. How beautiful, he says, are the feet of those who bring good news. Now that's a weird sentence if you think about it. I focus a lot about how beautiful it is. But the feet, the feet is strange. <laughs> Some of you are sitting here thinking, I have not had a pedicure ever. Some of you are thinking, it's been a minute, it's COVID. And the thing is, the feet are beautiful for a reason. Paul is talking about a passage in Isaiah 52.7, by the way, if you hear. And this is a really old practice. So before the internet, there were things called phones. And before phones, there was, um, well, there were things, they were called telegrams. And before telegrams, there were things called letters. And before letters, there was this thing called conversation. It was where people, like a person would stand in front of you and talk to you. It's, we don't do it very much anymore. So, but it's, if I were talking to you about what's going on in your life and vice versa, that's, that's what it was. And in the ancient world, if you needed to send a message, you, you had to send it with a person. So even if you were to write a letter, it always came with a person. And a lot of the time, you just sent a person because writing was expensive and took time. And if I just tell Kyle and Kyle goes to you, I've accomplished the letter with no writing. Like, that's, that's a much easier experience. And so there were these people called runners or couriers or things like that. Sometimes they had a horse. Sometimes they literally just ran. You know about this because there's a widespread practice in the United States of America called marathons. People run marathons, and marathons are an old Greek practice that are rooted in this really old story from a guy named Herodotus who tells the story of the Battle of Marathon. In the Battle of Marathon, the Athenians and the Spartans are trying to hold off Persia. A much larger force, they're definitely going to lose, and a guy runs from one city to the other to tell them, hey, we won! He ran as fast and as hard as he possibly could in sandals on unpaved roads. Guess what those feet looked like? They were shredded. They were filthy. He was messed up. This guy gives his last ounce of energy, collapses with a message, we have won. That is absolutely what Paul is referencing. And everyone who hears that sentence will think, marathon. That is absolutely what Isaiah is referencing, not marathon. But this old story in the book of Ezra where a king tells the people of Israel, you can go free. They have been captives. They have been experiencing exactly this. They have been miserable and alone and isolated from God, experiencing all the consequences of their actions. And God says, you're free through this king. And the king sends a messenger. And the messenger goes everywhere, telling all sorts of people who are poor and lonely and oppressed. You're not poor and lonely and oppressed anymore. Literally, you are set free. Your life has changed. Now, the only qualifications for a person like this, this messenger, is, well, how much they believe the message is urgent, right? How fast will they run? How much energy will they give? And, the, well, the other part is, how do they relate to the person whose message they're carrying? Those are the qualifications. That's it. You and I are messengers. And you can imagine what it was like in the ancient world when a messenger shows up to town with this message from a great king and says, your life is better now. You have been set free. Everything has changed. Actually, in the Ezra story, and you get free money. That just happens. You've been blessed richly and abundantly in gracious ways that you can't even imagine. Everybody hugs the messenger. That's what happens. They go, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And you go, well, not me. It's really... I'll take it. Like, it's really, it's the king who sends the message through me. My only job is to believe that this message is crucial, to run as fast and as hard as I possibly can, that people might hear it. It's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing when people run as fast and as hard as they can, 
with the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray? Lord Jesus.